Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us. And before we get into it this week, let's check in with Loopy. Yeah. See how he's doing. Let's see if Loopy is representing what we want Loopy <laughs> to represent. For the band, see Wu-Tang Clan. It is still there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it's all, at this point it's kind of like a gauge of like... Does the guy who likes Wikipedia wants to listen? The answer, no. <laughs> the Wu-Tang Clan is still in the midst of Chinese history, despite having no legitimate presence there. Yeah, I think it comes down to whatever editor got the task of confirming that change. Yeah. It's like, eh, I like the Wu-Tang Clan. I'll leave yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, if it's, already, if it's lived this long, I have a feeling... Then again, I also don't know what kind of backlog they have, but I feel that's like it true. is millions of people but, who just like do this in their spare time now, right? Like yeah. they don't get paid and for that, it. That's the thing. I feel like certain articles mm. get preference. Like, yeah. say the you know Barack Obama article, probably that, pretty high up on the list. Yeah. If you, somebody changes it, there are once or twice but, that I've been on an <laughs> article that I've seen like things that should not have been there. <laughs> um, but like, with, if you hit refresh, they were gone. Yeah. Like, they are gone. Yeah, very like fast. High traffic pages probably get mm-hmm. pushed way up the list no matter what number they come in at. Meanwhile, and, little Lou P. <laughs> nobody cares. Nobody Nobody's cares. going to this. Lou P. <laughs> it's like, got Lou P here. See? It's not a high nobody priority cares. for them. But it's nice to see that it's hanging around there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I had my doubts at first, but here we are <laughs> X amount of time later and... Yeah, you know how long it is between us recording episodes. <laughs> so there, think, think, think about that. Um, so uh, aside from uh, Loopy, uh, let's uh, let's see what what do you have today for your random article, Joe? Well, I think that the decision of uh, Wikipedia Chronicle of Wikipedia in general to uh, uh, stack things so that. Articles like Loopy don't get respect or uh, reviewed as they should is very Gregable. I have Gregable. Gregable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was trying to work it into being like regrettable, but uh, it's not. It sounds like a small child mumbling it. So there's really like no way without me talking in nonsense regable. words the entire way up to that for it to have any sort of uh, clout as a joke. Nonetheless, the person I have is regrettably. Aggregable. Aggregable. Grega Bull, spelled B O L E, but I mean, that's still how you say it, is a Slovenian professional road bicycle racer. Currently, he's riding for Bahrain Merida. Uh, his biggest victory is the 2011 GP 
Ouai, France, where he launched a solo attack with 1.2 miles to go. He held on as the field was closing in rapidly and with only Simon Garan, who was the second on the day, being awarded the same time as Bull. In 2015, Bull was the victor of the first stage of the inaugural Tour of Croatia after negotiating a series of bends where two crashes occurred. But presumably they did not involve him. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he is a winner. I don't know if I, I would say winner. He's a good bicyclist in bike races that you may not have heard of. <laughs> but they have links. The 2011 GP UA France, which is not the Tour de France, <laughs> is is it's something. some other France. Yeah, it's some other France bike thing. They just love their bikes over there. Yes, they do. And then Tour of Croatia, that might be interesting solely that because we, we, we what chance have we had to go to Croatia? That's true. What chance would we have again? Like, I feel like there would be more pertinent things going on in most African countries than there would be have there would have ever been going on in Croatia. Yeah. <laughs> Croatia does not come up much. No, no, and that is pretty gregable. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna I, push I, the envelope. I find it, on it gregable. Yeah, yeah, it's gregable. It's gregable. But I mean, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. Sometimes Croatia will just not, not be the thing that people talk about, and that that's gregable. Yeah. But that's okay. Um, do you have something slightly less gregable? Well, kind of, I mm. guess. Uh, well, I hope. I mean, like, I have the Gregable, so I guess my, it has to be by, less. Gregable. By definition, mine is less Gregable. There we go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it is the 14th Maine Volunteer Infantry Regiment. No, so, it sounds sounds pretty high <laughs> up there in Gregable. What did they do? Uh, was mustered in for three years service on December 31st, 1861, and were mustered out on January 13th. 1865. So they were a Civil War regiment, yep. sounds like. Now, and did they do some gregable things in, on the well, field of battle? They lost 86, uh, were killed. Okay, hold on. This this article is not written well. It says, it lost 86 killed or died of wounds. And it lost 86 <laughs> killed or died of wounds. That's a great... That... That is pretty gregable. <laughs> that's uh, that's the level of uh, article we're dealing with here. See, this is sad because it's one thing when it's like a Bollywood film, but when it's about like American history, it's just kind of like, okay, so yeah. you know, that, that 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 really puts that really puts your foot off the grammar Nazi pedal, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because you look at that and you're just like, maybe some oh. people just want to tell history and don't need to be literate to do it. Maybe that's. that's well, Maybe why that's are how they writing it on Wikipedia? Why? I, I don't know. <laughs> who is like illiterate, but then is somehow like, I like Wikipedia. I'm going to go on there and type up an article. Or the citations? Like, did, did whoever made that uh, atrocious, gregable sentence, like, uh, ha- well, have the HTML skills to really, like, do, HT- do a Wikipedia article, right? Exactly one reference. They figured out one for the entire article. There is one reference, mm. <laughs> and it uh, it shows up after the first sentence. 
hmm. of almost what, that makes I, me I've think, already said. So. Yeah, it almost makes me think that uh, the person who wrote the rest of this didn't really uh, just kind of decided that they knew history and decided, okay, yeah, let me let me just impart some knowledge in some weird. <laughs> it was killed, eighty six wounded. <laughs> Well, okay, not so so not only did they lose 86 killed or died of wounds, but <laughs> <laughs> 332 died just from disease. What? Just from just from disease, not from wounds? Disease. Just disease. Yeah. Okay, so, that's interesting at the very uh, least. I don't Something know had to have happened. The entire number of their regiment, but that sounds like a pretty high number. I don't know how many is in a regiment. Maybe that's what we should look at is uh, how many people are in a regiment, usually. <laughs> I just want, like, a casual regiment. Uh, regiment casual varies legs. in size. Depending. Okay, so regiment or a brigade is about two, th- two to four thousand. So that's still a sizable chunk, though. Matt, if that, if you're looking I mean, at the lower end of that, that's a huge bit of your people gone. That's almost ten percent of, or yeah, that w- like even the high end, mm-hmm. that would be about ten percent of your entire regiment. Yeah, is yeah, at least at least ten percent of wounds. <laughs> Are arguably upwards of like twenty to thirty percent, depending on how yeah. like how low your regiment size is. Right, and this is the fourteenth volunteer regiment. Like, they're not going to have four thousand or whatever it is. No, but I mean, like, it's kind of understandable too. If they're the volunteer regiment, they're not like the super well trained mm. and probably good at living and stuff regiment. They're right. the 14th, well, we're going to try and <laughs> it may not go so great regiment. This is like the uh, Mel Gibson's men from the Patriot regiment. Exactly. Kind of an experience, kind of, well, we're going to try this. Maybe this will work. Sort of sort of uh, uh, tactics. Usually erring on the side of no, no, that won't work. Why did you think <laughs> it would? So, yeah, so, yeah. All right, I like that one more. Fourteenth, fourteenth, uh, what Maine? Fourteenth Maine Volunteer Infantry Regiment. Man, they're coming from Maine, and they're also that's probably how the three hundred of them died from disease. Like they didn't even get to the battle before they just died in the Maine winter. Yeah, they they were probably just counting on it. All right, beef up your numbers because we know some of you are going to die on the way down. Yep. And then some are going to die on the way back. Yep. And then once you get there, some of you have been Maine your entire life. So guess what's going to happen? You're going to die because you're going to be too hot. You're going to be too hot to keep fighting. <laughs> yeah, so this regiment was organized at Augusta, Maine. That's the capital, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it is. Yep, capital. Capital of Maine. Okay, um, so pretty populous little part of Maine there. And it mustered in on December, uh, as I said before, 31st, 1861. And I've actually never heard of this. I mean, I guess I have heard the term mustered, like, in this context. But I've never really thought about it. Like, mustered as in, like... To muster strength to do something, but... Not to apply mustard to (laughs) hot dog. Right. Right. But, like... (laughs) The other uh, kind of mustard. strange to be, like, mustering in something. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but the regiment left the state for Boston, Massachusetts, 
uh, in February of the next year. And there they embarked on February 6th on the steamer North America. And then they arrived at Ship Island, Mississippi on March 8th. So a lot of their time was spent sailing there. Uh, yeah, they they spent like a month on the ocean just to get down to Mississippi. And then the regiment was attached to Butler's New Orleans Expeditionary Corps January 1862. Wait. Uh, I, I hope they mean that this Expeditionary Corps was... Um, formed in January 1862. And then they just joined it later. Not that they attached to this court before they even landed in Mississippi or even landed in Boston. Boston. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that... that. They only left for Boston in February, so... I'm guessing while they were en route, they decided where they were already... They already decided where they were going to go. Right. And then they... Once they got there, they, they knew yeah. to this place. I'm, I'm hoping. Like, that's a little time yeah. travel for a steamboat. Although, uh, hovering over this Butler link, uh, this guy's name was Benjamin Franklin Butler. Okay. And he kind of looks like Benjamin Franklin if he... Was a butler? Was, like, 50 years older and drank a lot... <laughs> That is odd. I have to admit, that guy does look oddly like a sad, mustachioed <laughs> Benjamin Franklin. I, I, I wish... I, I mean, I wouldn't doubt, like, back then, <laughs> Benjamin Franklin was a ladies' man. Like, let's right. be real here. Like, maybe the mom was That's trying true. to be like, yo, That's listen, <laughs> this isn't a joke. This is me trying to be coy. I wonder, I would like to uh, put this guy's picture to quotes from the real Benjamin Franklin. Just to, like, I make think it would be interesting to see. I think putting them against like his more Zany quotes. Yeah. Like, to just like make him be like this like sadistic, <laughs> sadistic mustachioed <laughs> villainous guy. Yeah, it would put a whole new light on this. Um, but yeah, the this regiment stayed at Ship Island. Which sounds like a really cool place, to be honest. An island entirely made of ships. <laughs> uh, they stayed there until May 19th. So that's, let's see, March, April, May. That's two months. And then they moved to New Orleans, Louisiana, from May 19th to 25th. So they were only there like a week. And then they remained on duty. Wait, 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 wait. They moved to New Orleans, Louisiana, from May 19th to 25th. So I guess that's how long it took them to get there? I guess. Is I that mean, what they're trying to say? I thought Ship Island was close to, to this, but I guess Ship Island is where? Mississippi, so maybe not. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I guess, I guess what they're trying to say is that it took them seven days to go from Ship Island to Louisiana. Right. And then they remained there on duty until July 7th. So they were there for a couple months. And then they moved to Baton Rouge on July 7th. Oh, wow, the same day. And uh, an expedition to the Amite River was carried out between July 23rd and 25th by companies F and K. 
The regiment participated in the Battle of Baton Rouge on August 5th. And the 14th Maine Volunteer Infantry Regiment is the focus of the poem on the men of Maine killed in the victory of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Written by Herman Melville. Hey, that's, um... Wow, so Herman Melville actually wrote about this weird group of, uh... Mainers. Yeah. Maynard Ferguson's. <laughs> uh, so they moved to Carrollton on August 20th. I'm not familiar, I don't think. And remained on duty there until December 13th, 1862. During this time, they went to Bayou des Allemands on September 4th to 5th and an expedition to St. Charles from September 7th to 8th. On December 13th, 1862, they moved to Bonnet Care and remained on duty there until May 7th of 1863. During this time, Company H detached at Frenier December 14th, 1862 to January 6th, 1863. Company B detached December 14th to February 20th and Company E January 6th to April 11th. A detachment made a scouting expedition to Pass Manchac February 8th through 11th, 1863, and there was also an expedition to Panchatula from March 21st to 24th, which led to its capture on March 24th by Company E. The regiment made expeditions to the Amite River March 24th to 30th and May 7th through 19th, and then on to Civics Ferry on May 10th and Baton Rouge. So So they kind of went from Baton Rouge all the way back to Baton Rouge. (laughs) So I guess I'm not familiar with um, military stuff. The geography of of Louisiana, I think, in general. Well, for (laughs) me, I, I, I wasn't familiar with army stuff or military stuff. So I guess regiments are split into companies. And I guess companies go out and when they say they detach, what they mean is they're off killing people. Because detach sounds really passe. You know, it sounds like, well, they left. They went on a walk. They went to go see what was around. Like, they were in the south. And they were like, well, this is the first time and probably the only time we'll get down here. So we figured we should probably just go check it out. They went. They found some cool water slides. They found some good, like, uh, Creole food and uh, some crawfish. Uh, a local taught them how to fish for how to catch alligators with the bare hands. It was a great time. Uh, they came back. They were refreshed. Uh, they were culinarily enhanced. Like that's what it sounds like. Oh yeah. But detached actually means nah. They march into a town and killed it. <laughs> then, then they own the town. <laughs> and that's like it's very low key here. It's just kind of like no, yeah, they get, yeah. they went. And they did these things. So apparently they they were all the way down to H at least. So what is that? Uh, oh K too. Don't forget K. Okay. Oh, F and K. F and K. C, company C and Company U were a little busy, so they had to <laughs> just go without them. Uh, so, wait, K, that's about halfway down the alphabet. That's like 13, probably. So depending on how many is in a company, that might give us a good idea of how big the overall regiment is. Yeah. You could kind probably, of math it from there, right? Yeah. A little, uh, probably like 200, 200 to 300 a company. Maybe and, that 300... Yeah. Uh, disease it was just one company. company. Like they just, just went someplace, went to the wrong town. <laughs> <laughs> wrong town, wrong town. <laughs> so uh, then, the move on Port Hudson began May twentieth, ni- or 
20th through the 22nd with the Siege of Port Hudson, May 24th through July 8th. That's a long siege. That took a while. That's that's an entire month. Yeah. Especially for a town that's like... This is a town that's... I, I don't see how it could really be a port, to be honest with you. <laughs> is it on the Mississippi or something? Uh, Doesn't look like it. Oh, wait, no. I can't they, see, no, yeah, uh, it's a little it's a little on the Mississippi. That's probably why it was significant, but Oh, there it is. Yeah. Huh. But yeah, I, I looked at it initially and I was like, why did that take so long? It's entirely <laughs> landlocked. Why 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 would that have been hard? Why yes. did you have to take a month and a half? Uh but then they there was the surrender of Port Hudson on July eighth. And then the regiment moved back to Baton Rouge on July 22nd. So Hooray. they just were like moving out and then they're coming back to Baton Rouge. I mean, it's not the worst strategy. If you have Baton Rouge, then yeah, just use it as a base of operations. Baton Rouge yeah. is pretty big, right? I mean, I, I would think so. The town of the Red Baton. <laughs> All right. So eventually uh, they disembarked from... Algier, uh, and then travel to Virginia. First to Fort Monroe, then the Bermuda Hundred <laughs> between July 3rd and July 22nd of whatever year we're now in. I guess this would be 1864. Uh, yeah. Yep. A demonstration was made north of the James River July 28th to 29 prior to Deep Bottom. Deep July bottom. 28th through 30th. <laughs> The regiment moved to Washington, D.C. Uh, July 31st, and thereafter to Tennelly Town, Maryland, on August 2nd. The regiment participated in Sheridan's Shenandoah Valley Campaign sh- Stravaganza from August 7th to November 28th, 1864. Wow. That was a, that was a long campaign. Seriously, wow. Several months doing that, uh, including Berryville from September 3rd to the 4th, the Battle of Opaquan, Winchester on September 19th, and the Battle of Fisher's Hill on September 22nd, and also the Battle of Cedar Creek on October 19th. The regiment remained at Cedar Creek until November 9th because, I guess, I don't know, that's kind of weird, that uh, they just stopped there. And just like, I guess, did they win? Did the battle stop? <laughs> what? I would like to know more. I guess there's a link to that if we want to go there. Uh, then they moved to Kernstown, Virginia until November 24th. After some time guarding trains at Martinsburg, West Virginia, they moved to Camp Russell on December 1st and remained on duty there until December 22nd. Non-veterans left front for muster out December 22nd. Mustered out January 13th. 1865, veterans and recruits consolidated to a battalion of four companies and duty at Stevenson's Depot till January 6th, 1865. They then moved to Savannah, Georgia between January 6th and 20th. They were on provost duty there until May 6th. They marched to Augusta, Georgia from May 6th to 14th and then on to Savannah between May 31st and June 7th. They then moved into Darien June 10th through 9th. The regiment was mustered out altogether August 28th, 1865. 
Which you can kind of tell, because, I mean, they were going to Savannah. Wasn't Savannah, like, the heart of the South? Yeah. Pretty much once you got there, I think that was like, well, then that's it. Yep. That, that should be the war. <laughs> they were all mustered out. Just going to bounce over to this list of main Civil War movements. 32 volunteer infantry regiments. Okay, well, let's see. Where do we want to go from here, then? Oh, there's a lot of good options in here. We got some battles. We got some people. We got some places. Mostly we've got places. Right. <laughs> I'm curious about Butler and... Uh, the Benjamin Franklin-looking dude? Yeah. I mean, yeah, who wouldn't be? Let's uh, let's check out Butler All right. himself. And maybe we'll see about his campaign then. <laughs> see if he has actually any relation to Benjamin Franklin. Well, Benjamin Franklin Butler was born November 5th, 1818. Okay, so that's the first test. Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> when did he die? Benjamin Franklin, death. Just checking into that really quickly. 1790. Oof. All right, so not... Not too terrible, no likely. Unless, unless he's Their, a grandson. That could be, too. More than possible. Uh, he was an American lawyer, politician, soldier, and businessman from Massachusetts. Born in New Hampshire and raised in Lowell, Massachusetts. Lowell. Butler is best known as a political major general of the Union Army during the American Civil War and for his leadership role in the impeachment of President Andrew Johnson. He was a colorful and often controversial figure on the national stage and in the Massachusetts political scene, where he served one term as governor. Butler, a successful trial lawyer, served in the Massachusetts legislature as an anti-war Democrat and as an officer in the state militia. Early in the Civil War, he joined the Union Army, where he was noted for his lack of military skill and his controversial command of New Orleans, which bought him wide dislike in the South and the quote-unquote beast epithet. He helped create the legal idea of effectively freeing fugitive slaves by designating them as contraband of war in service of military objectives, which led to a political groundswell in the North, which included general emancipation and the end of slavery as official war goals. His commands were marred by financial and logistical dealings across enemy lines, some of which probably took place with his knowledge and to his financial benefit. So this guy... He's from shit. This is a, a Frank <laughs> Underwood type guy right here. He's a... He, he he's was a conniving dude. pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah, a little, little crooked. More than a little crooked. Uh, Butler was dismissed from the Union Army after his failures in the first battle of Fort Fisher. Hence, uh, yeah, that's probably why they had to have more than one. Mm -hmm. uh, but soon won election to the United States House of Representatives from Massachusetts. As a radical Republican, he opposed President Johnson's Reconstruction agenda and was the House's lead manager in the Johnson impeachment proceedings. As chairman of the House Committee on Reconstruction, Butler authored the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871 and co-authored the landmark... Civil Rights Act of 1875. Okay. 
All right, let's stop right there. <laughs> Civil Rights Act of 1875. That sounds good. But then the fact that it's preceded by him writing an act for for the Ku Klux Klan. Is, for, is that for the Ku Klux Klan? Or is it against the Ku Klux Klan? It involves them, but, but to what extent? Yeah. I mean, usually when it's an act, it means that something about them is like being like enabled though right because i mean civil rights act isn't prohibiting civil rights so having the ku klux klan act would be like terrifyingly probably not banning them (laughs) yeah i guess so i mean obviously it didn't if we didn't have the ku klux klan since 1871 that would have been probably better (laughs) (laughs) May, may have made things a little easier or maybe even worse. I don't know. Oh. Maybe without that catharsis, those people just would have gotten way more, I don't know, worse. So, okay. Uh, apparently, this Civil Rights Act was uh, actually uh, first the Ku Klux Klan Act. That's what he first authored it as, and then it became the Civil Rights Act. See, that doesn't sound like a good thing for a civil rights act to be coming from. Yeah, I, I mean... So, he, it didn't so work, so he came back to it four years later? I guess. Yeah, because, okay, so... Um, okay, so the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. Alright, so... That was also called the Civil Rights Act of 1871. That bill was defeated, and then... Four years later, we tried it again. Assumingly, didn't call it the Ku Klux Klan Act this time, and just call it the Civil Rights Act of 1875. Well, yeah, but the brief synopsis of what the Ku Klux Klan Act of uh, 1871 was supposed to do was basically to suspend the writ of habeas corpus so that they could immediately arrest members of the Ku Klux Klan and other white supremacy organizations. (laughs) So, like... You know, say what you will about this guy as a military commander. He, he wasn't entirely, like, he, he was a little forward-thinking as far as, you know, getting radical racism out of our country yeah. by way of force. He's like, hey, these guys are bad. Arrest them. Arrest Wait. all of them. Don't even, like, if they're in the Ku Klux Klan, that's, fine. that's good. I don't need to have a trial. Just get rid of them. Get them out of here. In uh, Massachusetts, Butler was often at odds with more conservative members of the political establishment over matters of both style and substance. After having read a little (laughs) bit into that act, I can kind of see why. I mean, continuing to suspend the wartime suspension of habeas corpus (laughs) in general, just so that you can go after white supremacists, as good of a cause as that may be, eh, (laughs) still kind of risky, you know? Uh, feuds with Republican politicians led to him being denied several nominations for the governorship between 1858 and 1880. Wow, he was at that for a while, huh? (laughs) Just kept, just kept going back. Yeah, that's a long time. That's 22 years. For somebody back then, that's like a majority of their life pursuing that one, uh, uh, that one job. Like, imagine if you had to go for a job interview for 22 years and still didn't get it. That, Wow. So that he was also one of those guys who like played the field a little bit. He was yeah. Democrat at first, then he was Republican, and after 1880, he returned to the Democratic fold. And then, only then, did he win the governorship in 1882. 
uh, with Democratic and Greenback Party support. And then he also ran for president, not on the Democratic, but oddly enough, on the Greenback ticket oh. in 1884. So That's maybe that Greenback Party is something to look into. Or maybe not, because we still don't know what it is <laughs> today. So that just goes to show you. Also, he didn't win. Oh, 1884. That was Grover Cleveland versus James G. Blaine. So not versus Benjamin Butler is what you're saying. Right. So Benjamin Butler <laughs> did not come out as the major contender for that. No, one. he was in the race, but like very much in the same way that Ralph Nader was in the race. Although he was one of three anti-monopoly party nominations, uh, the other two were Alan G. Thurman and James B. Weaver. Alan G. Thurman. You don't suppose that guy is related to Strom Thurmond, do you? Uh, Thurmond with no D. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> but sometimes people drop the D in their last... No, dro- yeah. Drop letters in their last name. And- I don't know if they add the D back on, though, later. Uh, maybe. Like, maybe. Guy Fieri is a re- uh, re-Italianing of his name. Right. <laughs> that kind of thing does happen occasionally. Oh, well... No, wait a minute. So... This Benjamin Franklin Butler was actually nominated for two different parties. He was nominated for the Anti-Monopoly Party and the Greenback Party. Well, if you have the support of two parties in this in this country, that's basically you got the election. <laughs> well, apparently he didn't. Hey, there was a woman... Uh, Candidate for president? Yeah. In wow. 1884. Uh, we, we've, we're really behind the times here in 2017, aren't we? Belva Ann Lockwood. She was the Equal Rights Party nomination. Wow. And if only women had the <laughs> opportunity to vote and, uh, at that point a, in history. A Prohibition Party nomination, John St. John. John St. John. <laughs> Prohibition Party, probably not a great party in Rome. American Prohibition Party, another Prohibition Party. Wait, what? There was a There's second more? Prohibition Party. Hang on. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not seeing where you're seeing this, but I have to. I mean, I just clicked on the uh, 1884 link. So there's more Prohibition people? Yes. Uh, this The other party, the Prohibition Party, American one, uh, Samuel C. Pomeroy was the nomination for that one. So, okay, let's see here. Oh, and the other Greenback Party nomination was party chairman Jesse Harper hmm I don't know if we wanted to go to this article I just wanted to check out some of that stuff I mean it definitely does even briefly kind of put one at ease about the current state of affairs like okay we've been I mean yeah sure maybe this was a little bit post civil war but we were still pretty divided even yeah. back then, we, we held it together. Mm-hmm. Only just, but I mean, and not prettily, maybe not even well, mm-hmm. but we did. Okay, so back to Benjamin Butler. Back to Benjamin Button here. <laughs> so he was named after Benjamin Franklin, obviously. You don't get the name Benjamin Franklin Butler just by randomly choosing Benjamin and Franklin as uh, names. Well, uh, so, uh, as much 
meet as I'm skipping over to get to this. Uh, I do apologize for his Baltimore and Virginia, Virginia uh, uh, operations, as well as his time in Fort Roman, Virginia. But since we were just talking about New Orleans, I kind of naturally just skipped right down mm. to that. And uh, it says that uh, in New Orleans, his role was uh, basically capturing New Orleans from the south. And uh, then he was in an administrative capacity of the city. In the administration of that city, he showed great firmness and also political subtlety. He devised a plan for the relief of the poor, demanded oaths of allegiance from anyone who sought any privilege from government, and confiscated weapons. So he used just like, you know... Basically, government money to be like, hey, do you want to have food? Government will give you food, but like, uh, you belong to the north now, yeah? Okay, cool. <laughs> then we good here. Have some food stamps. Um, however, Butler's subtlety seemed to fail him as the military governor of New Orleans of New Orleans when it came to dealing with its Jewish population, mm. about which the general, referring to local smugglers, infamously wrote in October 1862, they are Jews who betrayed their savior. And have also betrayed us. <laughs> Butler was considered "quote unquote" notorious for his anti-Semitism. Ah, well, there's always got to be something. Yeah, you can but, be progressive in certain areas. But <laughs> and he was he was progressive in public health management because in an ordinary year it was not unusual. That is to say, it was very common. That is to say, it was bloody well near expected that as much as ten percent of the city's population was gonna die. Because of yellow fever alone. <laughs> in preparation, though, Butler imposed strict quarantines and introduced a rigid program of garbage disposal. And as a result, in 1862, grand total of two cases total citywide wow. reported. That's pretty good. That that's a that's a pretty okay thing. Like he he can be as anti-Semitic as, as <laughs> if he's not like deliberately propagating yellow fever. He's like being like, okay, you know what? <laughs> Fine. Here, he, everybody can have some, like. That's something, at least. Yeah. The dude isn't. The dude has a mustache, but Hitler, he is not. Right. He's not going to uh, actively, you know. Yeah, he's like a Mel Gibson level guy. <laughs> yeah. Not quite. Not quite fully like like turned yeah. on to the stuff. Just, just. Just dabbling. Just definitely not. Definitely not desirable in his in his yeah, dabbling. Right. But like you know. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Just rather have him not talk about certain things. <laughs> Man, this dude. Okay, I read down the article more, and well, <laughs> so civil, it goes from good to bad to good to bad to good to bad to good to bad. <laughs> he he he's one of those stories that like the story arc doesn't really have a chance to go anywhere. It wobbles though. Like it's a really interesting, like very jittery, skittish sort of spiky line that doesn't move. <laughs> um. Many of his acts, however, were highly unpopular. Most notorious was Butler's General Order Number 28 of May 15, 1862, that if any woman should insult or show contempt for any officer of the United States... Sorry, that wasn't a dramatic pause. I had to burp. Uh, she shall be regarded and shall be held liable to be treated as a, quote, woman of the town plying her own her avocation end quote, i.e. a prostitute. This was in response to various widespread acts of overt verbal and physical abuse from the woman of New Orleans, 
including cursing at and spitting on Union soldiers and pouring out their chamber pots onto their heads, which wasn't very good for the yellow <laughs> fever, uh, from upstairs windows when they pass in the street. I mean, you're in New Orleans. Shouldn't you, like, be expecting some, like, sassy... And you're going through the French Quarter where it's, like, it, the entire, like, charm of the place is that they have, like, second-story porches lining the entirety of the streets around yeah. you where people could readily walk out and, yes, dump their chamber <laughs> pots. And if you happen... I mean, for one thing, if you're still using chamber pots, those things gotta go somewhere. Yeah. If you're on the street, that's kind of on you, bud. Like, I maybe like that was... take another street, go around the town. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, I feel like I've heard that that's kind of common that people just dump their chamber pots yeah. out the window. I'm pretty sure that was like, standard practice. If you lived in a second story place yeah. in that time, you just kind of were so like, like, I don't want this shit in my house and so you threw it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, I feel like it's either going to land on somebody by accident or just by, you know, randomly chance like you walk underneath it. Yeah. Or they just like, alright, I'll aim it at this guy. Now, I mean, <laughs> not to discredit their perceptions, I'm sure that some of the residents of New Orleans probably weren't happy that they had just had their town taken over right, yet again. Yeah, yeah. And they probably saved the chamber pots up. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, uh, it, it seems like, you know, at the same time, some people probably did just have some accidents. <laughs> Uh, now, there was no overt sexual connotation in Butler's order, but the fact that the paragraph starts out this way does kind of lead me to believe that we're going down in a savory route, so brace yourselves. But its effect was to revoke the protected status held by women under the social mores of the time, which mandated that any quote-unquote respectable woman, i.e. someone who wasn't a prostitute, should be treated with an extra degree of respect due a lady, regardless of their own provocations. Under General Order 28, however, if a woman showed any form of insult or contempt towards a Union soldier, even so much as turning her back when he approached or refusing to answer his questions, the usual social standards no longer applied and she could be retaliated against either verbally or physically and if she, as if she were a common prostitute. The order produced the desired effect as women proved willing to risk retaliation uh, simply to protest the Union presence, but it was seen as extremely draconian by everyone except the Union soldiers in New Orleans and provoked general outrage in both the North and the South, as well as abroad, even in England and France. Like, they heard about wow. this. So this is, like, spread all over the world. People well, yeah. Are like, Man, this guy kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, this guy just, like, decided that because his <laughs> because his soldiers were occupying a place that, like, you know, like he, he was going to strip all the women of basically all of their rights. I feel like uh, the, the problem that I'm seeing, the, the pattern that I'm seeing in Franklin Butler, or <laughs> Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Button, right. Yeah, Benjamin Button. His, uh, his methods... Seem to be, I'll take this to the extreme right away. Yep. And there is no middle ground for this man. For getting out yellow fever, good. Mm-hmm. For dealing with women who are yelling at people, not good. Not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because like, it's 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 damn well near death. I mean, yeah. if you if you let soldiers of all people who you know they've been through war, they've seen a lot of crap. They're willing to snap on anybody anyway, just from what mm-hmm. they've seen and and arguably done. That you know, allowing them to have like a human target that like isn't supposed to retaliate and is like 
not going to press charges. <laughs> that's terrible. That's, that's going to literally that's gonna end the worst possible way. An entire people group into punching bags. Yeah, and that. And that's bad because all soldiers are supposed to do they're, they're punchers. Yeah. You've trained you've got a bunch of trained punchers with human punching bags. The thing you punch people yeah. and kill people. <laughs> that's it. That's all they know. <laughs> so what are you going to do? They they're, they're going to go around <laughs> punching everybody. Um so yeah, he that's that that was the act that actually earned him the nickname Beast Butler or alternatively and this one's a little off, Spoons Butler. <laughs> now the latter nickname may seem a little bit curious. It's deriving primarily from an incident in which Butler seized a 38-piece set of silverware. 38-piece, very nice. <laughs> uh, from a New Orleans woman attempting to cross the Union lines. Although the woman's past permitted her to carry nothing but clothing on her person, making her carriage of the, s- carriage of the silverware illegal, the single set of silverware would have normally been considered protected personal valuables, but Butler's insistence on prosecuting the woman as a smuggler and seizing the silverware as wartime contraband under his dictate of confiscating all property of those quote-unquote aiding the Confederacy uh, provoked angry jeers from the white <laughs> residents of New Orleans and the much-repeated perception that he used his power to engage in the petty looting of household valuables of treasonous New Orleans... New Orleansians? New Orleansians. Yes. New Orleanians. So, yeah, that's a... That, this, guy is a this guy is terrible. <laughs> he stole her spoons! <laughs> spoons Butler! <laughs> Oh, whoa, Spoons Butler. He had some good ideas. Some... Awful. Yes. Some bad. Some Um, worse. Yes. (laughs) He had mostly bad ideas, punctuated by a few (laughs) ideas that weren't terrible. But yeah, it's like you said. Uh, It's always to the extreme. (laughs) Persecuting the Ku Klux Klan. Submit. uh, Let's just suspend uh, habeas corpus some more for everybody, because there's (laughs) extremism out there. Yeah, that's also extremism, but okay. It's it's nice to get rid of people who are actively being violent and hateful against other people, but maybe the methods are not quite what you want. Yeah, if (laughs) you're getting rid of people who are violent to other people by way of being violent to other people (laughs) or licensing other people to, uh, you know, act violently, then maybe you're not really solving the problem. Right. And I think that yeah. was kind of a lesson that Benjamin Butler seemed to frequently fail to learn. Yes. Now, shortly after the Confiscation Act of 1862 uh, becoming effective in September, General Butler increasingly relied upon it as a means of grabbing cotton. <laughs> Since the uh, act permitted confiscation of property owned by anyone aiding the Confederacy, like we mentioned before, Butler reversed his earlier policy of encouraging trade by refusing to confiscate cotton bought into New Orleans for sale. First, he conducted a census in which 4,000 respondents failing to pledge loyalty to the Union were banished and their property was seized. Then it was sold at a ridiculously low auction price where Andrew was often the prime buyer. Andrew Uh, who? Who is Andrew? Do they mean Butler? (laughs) (laughs) Because that probably is what they do mean because I don't see anything about Andrew anywhere. Uh, Let me go back up and check his uh, family Andrew um, Johnson, the president that he later impeached. Uh, Andrew uh, Butler. Uh, 
His brother Andrew. His brother Andrew. His brother Andrew. Okay. Yeah. All right. I gotta get back to the Andrew I was on. There we go. Cotton seizures. Yeah. Uh, next, the general sent expeditions into the countryside with no military purpose other than to confiscate cotton from residents assumed to be disloyal. Once bought into New Orleans, the cotton would be similarly sold in rigged auctions. To maintain correct appearances, auction proceeds were dutifully held for the benefit of quote-unquote just claimants, but the Butler Consortium still ended up owning the cotton at bargain prices. Always inventive of new terminology to achieve his ends, Butler sequestered, or, you know, made vulnerable to confiscation, (laughs) such uh, properties in all of Louisiana beyond parishes surrounding New Orleans because somehow he had the authority to do that. (laughs) This dude was an idiot. (laughs) Yeah. Like, he tried to become, like, the dictator of the South, basically. Rolled up into New Orleans and was like, well, <laughs> I'm in charge now. Except probably a little less Southern. He's from he's from Massachusetts. Yeah. So more horrifyingly, he probably rolled up and said it with a Boston accent. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Ouch. No. <laughs> Butler even censored New Orleans newspapers. When editor of the Commercial Bulletin, William Seymour, asked Butler what would happen if the newspaper ignored his censorship, an angry Butler reportedly stated... I am the military governor of the state, the supreme power. You cannot disregard my order, sir. By God, he that sins against me sins against the Holy Ghost. Uh, And when Seymour published a favorable obituary of his father, who had been killed serving in the Confederate Army in Virginia, Butler actually confiscated the newspaper and imprisoned Seymour for three months. (laughs) Wow. He also closed the Picayune when it ran an editorial that he found offensive. Historian John D. Winters wrote that most of the newspapers were allowed to reopen later, but were so rigidly controlled that all color and interest were drained away, and that churches that planned a special day of prayer and fasting for the Confederacy were even forbidden from doing so. (laughs) Several clergymen were placed under arrest for refusing to pray for President Lincoln. The Episcopal churches were closed, and their three ministers were sent to New York City under military escort. <laughs> Man, see, once again, extremes. And it's extremism like, is hey, never good. Once you, you like say it's good that, one time, yeah, like nobody should have ever been like, "Hey, Benjamin, good job on the yellow fever thing. Nice job, dude." Because yeah. <laughs> I think that just like set him off. He was like, "I should just be extreme about everything." <laughs> Uh, he's it seems like he's kind of almost like the northern Hitler of the South. Yeah. Uh, which is yes. strange. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah, from the north, he's in the south, and he's acting a little bit like Hitler a in a Hitler-y. small contained area. Yeah, yeah. He's not trying to kill the Jews, but he's he's he's, he's, trying he's to definitely subjugate everybody and definitely not for them. Right. <laughs> And is definitely a dictator who is trying to uproot the culture, be the lay of the land, law of the land, either, both, (laughs) and own everything, if not by wartime tactics, by literally buying everything. I guess his brother was like some like rich financier guy and he was just like there buying everything. (laughs) Wow, man. 
Ooh, and he even executed people. He executed William B. Mumford, who had torn down a United States flag placed by Admiral Farragut. Who previously was known in this article as the guy who had a chamber pot dumped explicitly upon ah. him. He's the guy who's known for the chamber pot. <laughs> um, uh, on the, he placed that on the, mint, the United States Mint in New Orleans. Uh, but most, including Mumford and his family, expected Butler to pardon him, but the general refused, but promised to care for his family if necessary. After the I war, wouldn't want that to care for my family. <laughs> Just hell no. Yeah. Solid Somebody no. Somebody else, please. Just actually, you know what? Bring them up here with me. <laughs> Kill them, too. I'd rather that. <laughs> so, after the war... Butler fulfilled his promise, paying off a mortgage on Mumford's widow's house. Mumford's and, and sons? her find... Yes, Mumford's widows and her sons. Yes. <laughs> and helped helping her find government employment. For the execution and general order number 28, he was denounced by Confederate President Jefferson Davis in general order 111 as a felon deserving capital punishment, who, if captured, uh, should be reserved for execution. Butler's action was successful in reducing the number of violent acts and vandalism made against Union occupiers. Yeah, against the I, Union I occupiers, feel, but I feel like I, it would just generate acts made by the Union occupiers. I feel like all of these things always say like somewhere, well, you know... It actually was successful in reducing whatever he was trying to reduce, but like right. But you're measuring the wrong statistic. People are like, uh, okay, if that's what this guy's gonna do, then I, I guess mean, we just need I to. Guess, uh, not I don't, do don't want to be executed. I don't want to be. You I know, don't want to be executed. I don't want to be treated like a prostitute. I don't really think there's anything else I can do. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'll just stop doing anything. I guess I'll stop wearing clothes because there's a man of cotton. He keeps buying all the cotton. Um, he just buys everybody's clothes at a discounted price. So I guess I'm just gonna walk around naked in my house and just and then they'll save treat these, me like a prostitute. And then so cha- and then just we're... keep these chamber pots in here and then never throw them out. <laughs> that's that's how I'm going to live now to be safe. Uh, Butler also took aim at foreign consuls in New Orleans. What? Why? Why would oh. you do that? So, uh, so he brought the PlayStation over. Yep. Yeah. Like he 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 wanted to make sure. Uh, but he ordered the seizure of eight hundred thousand dollars, which I don't know if that's in eighteen sixties money or in modern <laughs> money. But if it's in eighteen sixties money, he ordered the seizure of eight billion dollars. <laughs> 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 that had been deposited in the office of the Dutch consul, imprisoned the French champagne magnate Charles Heidzik, and took particular aim at George Koppel of Great Britain, whom he suspended for a refusal to cooperate with the Union. Instead, Butler accused Koppel of giving aid to the Confederate cause. U.S. Secretary of State William Henry Seward sent Reverend... What? Rev, Reverdy, Reverdy, <laughs> Reverend, Reverdy, Rever, Reverdy Johnson, Reverdy Johnson, to uh, New Orleans to investigate complaints of foreign consuls 
against uh, certain Butler policies. Even when told by President Lincoln to restore a sugar si- shipment claimed by Europeans, Butler undermined the order. So he's going against Lincoln himself now. <laughs> of course he is. He also imposed a strict quarantine to protect against the yellow fever, which had the added impact of delaying foreign commerce <laughs> and bringing complaints to his headquarters from most foreign consuls. So even in doing that, and even though it was effective, <laughs> ultimately there were people who were doing like international business in the city, and they were left at a steep disadvantage because of how he chose to handle it, even if it was, you know kind of cutting-edge public health for the time. Mm. Oh, boy. Handling of escaped slaves. Oh, this is going to be good. This is the last one before <laughs> recall. This is the last one before recall, so that's good. Total recall. Yeah. They, they should have done that they, a while ago. They should have recalled Butler a long time yes. ago. Yes. Yeah. Um, for As for the slaves, um, with the Union occupation, runaway slaves and slaves from abandoned plantations arrived in large numbers in New Orleans. And these unattached persons had to be fed and housed. A union officer complained of a big problem with the new arrivals. John D. Winters wrote that soldiers resented the fact that the pampered Negro was given better tents, equal rations, and was allowed to tear down more fences for sleeping boards than were the soldiers. General Phelps, an abolitionist, had organized a few squads of Negroes and drilled them daily not knowing what to do with so many Negroes. (laughs) Butler at first returned the runaway slaves to their masters. What? That's the worst idea. (laughs) I'm just going to undo... I'm just going to... I'm going to take over the New Orleans, but I'm going to undo the entire Civil War. (laughs) Here you go. Earlier, wasn't he trying to do something good with... I don't know. Okay. Was was he ever trying to do something good? I think that's the kind of, like, question I have about this guy, too, is, like, didn't we think he did a good thing at some point? I I feel like at some point... Didn't he, like, ban the Ku Klux Klan or something? How how is he... Like, I think the Civil War just made him crazy for something. I mean, maybe he was just crazy all along. Actually, he probably was just crazy all along. disease or something in his brain. I... I, I don't understand how he would think any of this was a good idea. <laughs> but uh, despite Butler's attempts, the contraband still came. Some of them were employed as cooks, nurses, washwomen, and laborers. Doesn't sound so bad. Um, and finally, Butler ordered the exclusion of all unemployed Negroes and whites and whites from his lines. So, so everybody, if you can't all- hold down a job, get out of here. <laughs> Again, taking things to an extreme doesn't matter. Like, the the fault here is that he does things to the extreme. He has upheld that, so he's still wrong, even if that sounds like a good idea. It'd be great if we could just get rid of all the unemployed people. Yeah, let's just line up against the wall and kill them. That's fantastic. That doesn't make sense, man. They're still people. (laughs) What are you doing? All right, execute all unemployed people. Okay, great. They're they're gone. They're gone from your lines, and then they go... You're not going to kill them. Where are they going to go? They're still around. Like, you didn't solve anything. What's wrong with you? Oh, man. Uh, Okay, recall. Finally, after paragraphs of agony over a course of, like, two weeks, I'm pretty sure. A nice conclusion for... God, I hope so. I mean, this guy still had, like, a significant political career career after this. It just goes to show how messed up antebellum Civil War and post-Civil War... We understand why it took him, like... 
20 years of to even constantly- get close <laughs> to being a governor. Yeah. Yeah, he had he had some stuff to distance yeah, himself from. He had, he, had wait until, he had to wait until like an entire generation that remembered this stuff <laughs> died for the most part. And then they were like, yeah. oh, okay, you're kind of progressive, I guess, <laughs> maybe. Now, uh, although Butler's governance of New Orleans was popular in the North, which we have already established, that isn't true. Uh, <laughs> some of his actions, notably those against the foreign consuls, definitely concern President Lincoln, who eventually authorized his recall in December 1862. Classic Lincoln, even then, <laughs> handling a guy like this being, like, just by being concerned. Yep. Like the stern parent <laughs> of the United States, if there ever was one. I feel I'm like concerned about this. President Let's Lincoln take him back. should have been played by Tom Hanks, I feel like. Yeah, like a little he, more, like, affable yeah. and familiar, uh, sociable, really. Yeah. I feel like Kinda. Daniel Day Lewis played him much too stiff. Yeah, like a wax. He's like he like based him on a wax figurine as yeah. opposed to an actual. He's got to be like a nice, you know, father. It's yeah. like the friend of everybody, you know, like you. Yeah, never and kind of unyielding in his personality, but like yeah. definitely not unapproachable. Yeah, weird though. Definitely weird. Yeah. <laughs> so Tom Hanks would be like, yeah, yeah, pretty much exact. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Butler replaced, uh, was replaced, I should say, by Nathaniel P. Banks. Uh, the necessity of taking sometimes <laughs> radical, see, always, sometimes. action, or always radical actions, <laughs> and the support he received in radical Republican circles drove Butler to change political allegiance, and he joined the Republican Party. He also sought revenge against the more moderate oh Secretary of State, Seward, who he believed to be responsible for his eventual recall. Butler continued to be disliked and controversial in New Orleans. To this day, I assume. Yeah, continues, actually, continues to be disliked, I should say, which is incredible <laughs> for, you know, somebody I haven't heard of until now. But yeah. having read this, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you had you had a little Hitler in your midst. Yeah. Like, that's... Yeah, and I yeah I understand why you still Lincoln hate this dude. Lincoln just kind of squanched him out right away, which is good. Like good on Lincoln. Yeah. Like he only got like six months of this terrible tyranny in before, <laughs> uh, he finally got like reprieved. It was what? Uh, he was put in the power in December 1861. Was when he went down there. 1862, he captured New Orleans. So yeah, yeah. Half a year in hell, <laughs> and yet to this day still decried New Orleans. Yep. That's, and they went through Hurricane Katrina. Their levees have broken, yeah. and they still hate this dude. <laughs> that just goes to show you, man. Like, yep. Um, unfortunately, uh, there is a slight epilogue to um, before f- his final recall. Which would be a good name for a Total Recall sequel. Yeah, Final Recall. <laughs> just conclude it. Don't make three. Just yeah. make one more. Final Recall. Good enough. Yep. Um, so, unfortunately, it, Butler's popularity with the Radicals meant that Lincoln could not readily deny him a new posting. So, he considered sending him to position in the Mississippi River area in early 1863 and refused to send him back to New Orleans. And he finally gave Butler command of the Department of Virginia and North Carolina in November 1863. Oh, what are you doing? Based in New York, Norfolk, Virginia. And 
In January 1864, Butler played a pivotal role in the creation of six regiments of U.S. volunteers recruited from among Confederate prisoners of war, uh, i.e. galvanized galvanized Yankees, uh, for duty on the western frontier. In May, the forces under his command were designated the Army of James. So wait, they took Confederate prisoners and then turned them into northern... Union soldiers? Knowing this guy, I don't really <laughs> want to know how that transformation happened. I, I have a feeling that these Confederate soldiers wouldn't want to do that. That seems like a bad idea. Uh, yeah. Yep. Seems like a very bad idea to take prisoners and be like, hey, why don't you fight for me instead? Yeah, I, I, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> like, that could turn on you real fast. You're one dude. Yeah. Um, but then his antics continued, and he commanded a number of United States Colored Troops regiments, which he deployed in combat during the Battle of Chaffin's Farm, sometimes also called the Battle of New Market Heights. The which troop- was it, a farm or a, hi- a market? <laughs> and the troops performed extremely well. And in the case of the 38th United States Colored Corps Regiment, who had overcome overwhelming fire, heavy casualties, and thick physical obstacles to overwhelm a more powerful force, he awarded a number of men the Medal of Honor. He also ordered a special medal designed and struck and awarded to 200 African-American soldiers who had served with distinction in the engagement. It was later called the Butler Medal. Hmm. Well, I mean... That's that, good. That was good. Like, why can't he just be doing <laughs> stuff like that? I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know what's wrong with this guy. Uh, uh, so there's the Petersburg assault. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant, who did not think highly of Butler's military skills. Seems like all the best people in the country were like, the actually good think, ones were like, uh, this guy's that great. <laughs> Something's off about this guy. Literally the best military strategist the Union Army had said, this guy's a pretty bad dude. Uh, But he ordered him to attack in the direction of Petersburg from the east, destroying the rail links, supplying Richmond, and distracting Robert E. Lee in conjunction with the attacks Grant would make from the north. Rather than striking immediately at Petersburg as ordered, much to Grant's chagrin, I'm sure, Butler's offensive bogged down east of Richmond in the area called the Bermuda Hundred, immobilized by the greatly inferior force of Confederate General PGT Beauregard, and he was unable to accomplish any of his assigned objectives. But it was his mismanagement of the expedition against Fort Fisher, North Carolina, that finally led to his recall by General Grant. Man. And then uh, his status as a key political ally of President Abraham Lincoln prevented General uh, Butler's status of as a political ally prevented General Grant from removing him from military service prior to the presidential election of November 1864. As a prominent radical pu- Republican, Butler was also under consideration as a possible opponent of Lincoln in that year's election, and Lincoln had asked Butler to serve as his vice president in early 1864. I feel like that might be a good place to put him, because then he's under the watchful eye of Lincoln, and he can't really do anything too 
much. You really want to put this dude as vice president <laughs> under Abraham Lincoln in 1864, That's knowing true. history. <laughs> Not knowing like, history, good idea. Knowing, knowing history... history don't do it. Very good that this Don't did not do happen. Yeah, that's actually fine. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, after the election, Grant wrote Secretary of War Edwin M. Stanton in early 1865, asking free reign to relieve Butler from military service. And since Stanton was traveling outside Washington, D.C. at the time, Grant appealed directly to Lincoln for permission to terminate Butler noting there is a lack of confidence felt in Butler's military ability. Yeah. <laughs> in general order number one, Lincoln relieved Butler from command of the Department of North Carolina and Virginia and ordered him to report to Lowell, Massachusetts. I love how that's like his first order. Yeah. Like, no, order of business number one. Uh, I haven't Get ordered this anything. guy <laughs> out of here. And then uh, Grant informed Butler of his recall on January 8, 1865 and named... Ma- Major General Edward O.C. Ord to replace him as commander of the Army of the James. Rather than report to Lowell, (laughs) Butler went to Washington where he he used his considerable political connections to get a hearing before the Joint Congressional Committee of the Conduct of the War in mid-January. That's a mouthful, that committee is. As his hearing... At his hearing, Butler focused his defense on his actions at Fort Fisher. He produced charts and duplicates of reports by subordinates to prove he had been right to call off his attack of Fort Fisher, despite orders from General Grant to the contrary. Butler claimed the fort was impregnable. Despite never having (laughs) tried. (laughs) To his embarrassment, a follow-up expedition led by Major General Alfred H. Terry captured the fort on January 15th. The news of his, this victory arrived during the committee hearing. Butler's military career was over. He yep. was finally retained until November 1865 with the idea that he might act as military prosecutor of Confederate President Jefferson Davis. So, Jesus. finally he's recalled. and That's a good place for us to... Yeah. to wind down on. We know he had a political career, but it was kind of ho-hum from there. Yeah, he had a didn't really struggling political career. Um, Never really wasn't able to make ends meet. Definitely still got into some office somewhere. But, praise be, yeah. we never had Benjamin but- Button as a president. <laughs> yeah. So, there you have it from 14th Maine Volunteer Infantry Regiment to Benjamin Butler. Um, so hope you enjoyed this one and learned a little something about some guy from history that mm. you maybe probably have never heard of, but did a lot of things. Terrible, <laughs> awful things. <laughs> a few slightly good things. <laughs> <laughs> and mostly a lot of pretty atrociously bad ones. Yes. Yes. Mostly, almost exclusively bad stuff. Um, but, hey, did you know we now have a Patreon page where you can donate to the show? So if you would like to do that, it's patreon.com slash TWC podcast. So if you feel like supporting the show, go ahead and do that. 
Um, you can donate as little as a dollar or as much as you want. And so, uh, with that being said, I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Al Jolson for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. Man, just two articles. Pretty good. Well, I mean, that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good article to land on. Yeah. Gotta be honest, was not expecting to have <laughs> yeah, so many uh, ridiculously juicy stories in one, one little. That was a little spice ball of an article, wasn't it? <laughs> wow. I came for the droopy Benjamin Franklin, but I stayed for his crazy antics. He was pretty crazy. No doubt about that one. I feel like if I had to cast him in, in a movie, um, I would have Ian McShane probably play him. Yeah, yeah, that would be actually the only appropriate choice <laughs> for somebody like this. Like, what a crazy dude. What's wrong with him? Why do you do all that? <laughs> Why you gotta be like that? Why you gotta be this way? Nobody asked for this. Yeah.